Our uh, scripture reading, if you want to turn there with me, is taken from James chapter 1 this morning. It's James chapter 1. I'll be reading 2 through 15. Uh, James chapter 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously. To all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind, that man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. <clears throat> he is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. my privilege this morning to introduce to you Ben Luke. Ben used to uh, come to his church with mom and his sister many, many years ago and uh, has had a, a, um, a checkered past, let's put it that way. And I'm pretty proud of Ben. He called me a couple of weeks ago and he said, Bill, this is Ben Luke. I said, Ben Luke, I haven't heard from you for years, but I've heard good things about you. And so Ben asked if he could come and share his story with us this morning. You will find a letter from Ben in each of your bulletins. And so Ben, please, my brother, my son, come tell us what the Lord has laid on your heart. You can, I'll tell you what, you can use this one here. You can feel free to wander. Yeah. Good morning, church. Good morning, church. One more time. Good morning, church. Hey, uh, I'm really excited to uh, be here this morning and uh, share uh, um, uh, not only what, what God has been doing in my life and in my heart, uh, but I also, um, I'm also uh, towards the end going to throw, throw out a challenge, so I hope that uh, I hope you guys are open to receive uh, a challenge. And uh, I've been praying this morning that uh, God would, uh, this wouldn't just be a testimony about me and my past and Jesus and God saving me from all that, 
But I've also been praying that each one here would be able to take something from it and apply it into, into their own lives. And I trust that that's going to be the case this morning. So uh, be open to, to hearing from, from the Spirit this morning. Um, at, a very, uh, at a very young age, I, uh, I made a decision that uh, I was gonna, I was gonna make my life count. I was gonna get, I was gonna get a taste of the good life. Anything that this life, the best things that this life had to offer, I was gonna get a part of it. And uh, so I made, I made a decision that that I was gonna make that happen, no matter what I had to do to get that. I was gonna get that. And. Uh, In my, in my head, I I thought that um, authority, my 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 mom or or God or the law, anybody telling me that no, you know, I couldn't do this or that or whatever else, I thought that that was keeping me from getting what I wanted. And so I developed a very rebellious attitude, uh, a rebellious spirit, at a pretty early age. And I went in search of uh, of those desires that I had in my heart, and uh, I went looking for them from things of the world and from from man. And uh, I started smoking cigarettes at an early age, drinking alcohol, then marijuana. And then when I was 18 years old, I got my class one license and I moved out to Alberta, where the oil where where the money was in the oil rigs. And I started uh, making good money out there. And it was also the time where I was introduced to cocaine. And so um, shortly after I did my first uh, line of cocaine, uh, I found out an even more effective way to do it, which was smoking crack. And uh, I would get higher, and the high would be shorter. And the lengths that I would go to get the drug would become uh, longer. I'd, you know, I'd, there's more that I would do. And then I discovered uh, needles, which I got even more higher and came down even harder and would go to even longer lengths to, to maintain my high. And when I started uh, mainlining uh, cocaine, um, that was about 10 or 11 years ago was the first time I, I did that. And so for the last 10 or 11 years, that became my life was to find my next fix. And uh, there was absolutely nothing that would stand in my way of me getting my next fix. And so I committed uh, many, many crimes. Um, I committed a, an armed robbery in Manitoba in 2004. And uh, uh, when I found out that the authorities were, were on to me, I took off, and uh, I was in a vehicle in Lethbridge, Alberta. Um, I was, uh, me and my co-accused were hanging out in a house out there, and uh, somehow uh, the authorities uh, tracked me down way out there. But I remember watching Cops when I was a kid. It's like my, it's still like one of my favorite shows. Anybody see that show, Cops? That's a, that was like my favorite show growing up, and still I. I don't watch it as much anymore, but uh, 
if I get the chance, I'll be watching Cops. I really, really like that show. And so, uh, in, I remember leaving my, we were going to uh, my buddy's workplace, and uh, his wife drove us there, my, myself and my co-accused. And so we're in a car, and we're driving, and uh, I didn't, I was unaware because these were unmarked uh, vehicles that, that, uh, that were following us, but we got about 10 or 11 blocks away, and we came to a stop, the vehicle came to a stop, we were pulling up to my buddy's workplace, and uh, my door, the door in the back there where I, where I was sitting came open, and I was grabbed and thrown to the ground, and knees like driven into my back, my hands grabbed and handcuffed, and I could just hear, don't move or we'll shoot, don't move or we'll shoot. And I didn't know what was going on. So I, 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 as I turned around, there's like five or six officers with guns pointed at me. And they're yelling, don't move or we'll shoot. And I, you know, although I, I knew I was wanted by the authorities, I thought like this, you know, this was like one of the arrests that I seen on the cops TV show. And I'm like, this is crazy. You guys, you guys made some kind of mistake here. You got, you know, you guys, you guys made an awful mistake. And he said, yeah, he said, yeah, we made a mistake, Kate. And the one cop knelt down and he held a wanted poster with my face on it. And that was a real reality check. And so for the next uh, two years, as I sat in a six by nine foot cell in Stony Mountain Penitentiary in Winnipeg, I, I just couldn't get that, that wanted poster out of, my, out of my head. You know, and I had a lot of time to uh, think about how my life had gotten to the point it did. And uh, I began opening myself up to the possibility of, you know, all the stuff that I was taught when I was younger about God and his, how he loves us and cares for us and protects us. And so I, I cried out to God while I was in, uh, in jail. And uh, it's a very scary place to be. And uh, however, um, when I was released from there, Actually, no, there was a gentleman that used to come and visit me every second, every second Tuesday, a complete stranger. This guy was a Christian man. He was involved with a group called Open Circle. And uh, their group would uh, come and visit people who they didn't even know, who didn't have any family close by or anything like that. And these people would come and visit complete strangers in the penitentiary. And every second Tuesday, he would come faithfully. I remember one day I looked out the window and it was just a like it's been blizzarding for like like whatever a day or two or whatever and i just thought to myself there's no way my visit's coming tonight and so i prepared to get ready for wreck wreck time and then over the loudspeaker they said luke you got a visit and this guy lived like 2 hours away and he drove through a blizzard to come and see me a complete stranger when everybody else when society said no this man needs to be locked up. Um, he's a menace to society. Uh, this brother, Al Funk, he said, no, I'm going to go visit Ben. And he, he kept coming and kept coming the whole time I was there. And it was the first time that I consciously experienced the love of God because who else in their right mind would come and visit? You're like, that's just, that's unheard of. To me, it was. And... Uh, so that really stuck with me, and it really changed my uh, perception on Christianity or what it was like to be to be a Christian because I hadn't experienced anything like that before. Anyways, 
uh, once I got released from Stony Mountain, I uh, stayed clean for a couple months, but I fell back into my old ways. And uh, my girlfriend at the time, she became pregnant. I'm not too sure how that happened, but somehow she became pregnant. Um, Curtis might be able to tell you how that happened. He's got a newborn baby there. But uh, I thought right on, this is, this, now, now my life is going to have purpose. I, don't, I can stop searching now. I'm going to be a dad now. I've got so much to live for, and everything's going to be good. And uh, we moved to Victoria, uh, B.C. for a uh, fresh start. And uh, unfortunately, uh, the first night that we got my son Ashton home from the hospital, I took the vehicle, I took the bank card, and I went right back to, right back to my addiction. And I left them at home with, with nothing. And so that was another real eye-opener for me, just how strong of a, of a hold this, this drug had on my life. And that even being a father and having a brand new newborn baby at home and an awesome girlfriend. And I just chose to, you know, to be on the streets hanging out with hookers and shooting up dope on the street and stuff. It was just, it was just crazy. And uh, um, I guess uh, about a year or two after that, um, we moved to Saskatchewan. We moved to Saskatchewan, uh, another geographical move, try and get a new start, run away from my problem. Unfortunately, the problem was me, and it followed me around everywhere I went. I couldn't run from it. And uh, we come to Saskatchewan. Didn't help. So Tanya and uh, our son and her two children, who stuck by my side for many years, hoping that I would finally be able to overcome my addiction one day, they said enough is enough, and they, and they moved away and took my son with. And at that point, I... Uh, I made a, I knew, I knew I had to change. Uh, I knew I had to make a change. I tried many, many different times to try and kick my addiction by myself. Never could do it. And uh, I came to Teen Challenge about uh, 19 or 20 months ago, something like that. June, June last year, I came to Teen Challenge. And I was introduced to Jesus Christ and as I looked at this Jesus Christ and was taught about him and who he is, I recognized just how, um, just how desperate I was in need of a Savior and how my life had just been just completely out of control and that I couldn't do anything on my own anymore. I never could to begin with. And I, I made a commitment when I came to Teen Challenge that I was going to give my life to God. And uh, so I made that commitment. And over the next 12 months and to this day, in Teen Challenge, I, everybody here is familiar with Teen Challenge. I'm pretty sure of it, so I'm not going to go there. But uh, I learned, mostly learned uh, three things. Um, obedience submission, and humility. Those are the three major things that um, the students at Teen Challenge learn. 
And they're very hard to, very, very difficult to learn to practice obedience, humility, and submission. Um, however, they're very necessary to uh, live a Christian life or live a life that's pleasing to God. And so I was also taught there how to build a relationship with Jesus. And as I began to build this relationship with Jesus, everything that was just seemed so confusing and so distorted over the course of my whole life, each day God would just peel back layers and just allow me to just see things in a whole, in a whole new light. And it was, it was so, such a dramatic change from the, from the life I've been living. And it was so awesome. And I, uh, I began to, to uh, realize, I'm going to speak for everybody in this room now, that we all have desires in our heart. And uh, some of those desires being um, security, self-worth, significance, to be loved, to be accepted, to be a part of something. We have desires to have relationship. And that's not a problem to have those desires. Where the problem comes is where we look to fill those desires. And we got an enemy out there who, who knows that we have these desires. And he says, hey, Ben, you want to be happy? You want what you want? Then here it is. Come and get it. This is what will make you happy. You get whatever you want. And unfortunately, it took me many, many years to, um, to see the truth and uh, not believe that lie. But uh, the fact of the matter, I believe that uh, if the enemy can get us to believe one lie, let's take drugs and alcohol right out of the picture. If the enemy can get us to believe one lie about ourselves, then essentially he can control our life or he can keep us from that relationship with Jesus. And that's what, he's, that's what he does. He, he lies. He is a liar. He is a thief. The Bible says that he has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's what he wants to do with each and every one of our lives. And the only thing that he has, the only thing that he can do is lie. By saying, well, many different things. I think uh, everybody here can relate to, you know, you know, another big one is, uh, is who we are. You know, we, we search for identity so much. And uh, the enemy will use that, you know, who, who am I? And he'll use that and try and get us sidetracked and look for other ways to try and identify ourselves. Um, the truth is that our identity can and will be found uh, in who we are in Jesus Christ and what the Bible says about who we are and our security, man, when I gave my life to God and began to, God began to open my eyes to the truth, I began to see that every single one of my desires are met in my relationship with Jesus and who I am in Christ. And uh, it's, it was 
it's just crazy because my life that was just fear, anxiety, worry, strong, just addiction, just completely in bondage. I just had no control over anything that I was doing. And a year and a half of, of uh, being in Teen Challenge, it's not Teen Challenge that changed me, it's Jesus. But I'm just at, just like, just at complete peace. And I'm content with every area of my life. And I found freedom not only from my addiction, but from many, many, many other lies of the enemy that he, he's after, he's after me. And uh, something that God's really shown me in the last few months is what it, what it really meant to, uh, when I committed my life to him. And I think, uh, I think there's uh, a bit of confusion or unwillingness here for, for many people. Um, when, you know, we, we give our lives to God or, you know, ask Jesus to come into our heart and we're saved. Yeah, sure, we're saved. Then we get eternal life. We get the gift of salvation. However, there's, uh, there's a lot more to it than that. And we, uh, we give our lives to God. We ask him to be Lord of our lives. That means that, uh, we start to, we should start, um, being obedient to him and doing the things that, that would please him. And we have to let go of our own lives, our own agenda. When we commit ourselves to obedience to Jesus Christ, he's going to run complete interference in our lives. We have to set our own personal agendas aside. And uh, in the last few months, God really put put that on my heart. And where I'm staying in Winnipeg at the Teen Challenge Center, there's many, many homeless people there, many alcoholic homeless people that are in really, really rough shape. And uh, I walk to the gym, uh, you know, four or five days a week or walk to the mall or whatever. And uh, these guys are just all over. There's no shortage of them. And God just put on my heart. He's like, man, you need to, you just walk by these guys without even, you know, without even looking at them. You don't even, like, how are you demonstrating my love if you're not even looking at these guys, you're just ignoring them. And so he challenged me to, to start reaching out to these guys. And uh, I remember the first day I went outside. I went for a walk uh, Saturday morning. There was a guy passed out on the concrete there in a bus stop. I'm like, man, I'm going to. God's like, you need to do. Here's your opportunity. Do something. I'm like, okay. I go buy the guy a coffee, come back and wake him up with a coffee. So I go to Tim Hortons, I grab a breakfast sandwich and a coffee, I come back, the guy's gone. So I'm walking around this track, there's a big park there right by our center. I'm like, what, what am I going to do now? And then I see another guy that's bent right out of shape too. And so I, I follow, I try and catch up to him and I said, hey, I was calling him, he never answered. And then uh, he walks up to the security guard, finds out what day it is, what time it is. He's right out of it. So I go up to the guy, and it's right out of my comfort zone. And I'm like, hey, man, I said, here's a coffee and a sandwich. I said, and Jesus wants you to know that, that he loves you, and he has a plan for your life. He has purpose for your life. And the guy put out his arms, and he looked up to the sky, and he just yelled Jesus just as loud as he could. He yelled it twice, and I was just like, wow, this is, this is pretty crazy. 
step out of my comfort zone in obedience to God, and some, the Spirit was at work. I don't know exactly what was going on, but something was going on, how he just yelled Jesus. The next day, Sunday morning, he's walking, over to, walking across the church, and there's three drunk guys, homeless guys, um, in also in very rough shape on, a park, on the park bench there. It's a beautiful morning. I walked up to them, and I said, hey, how's it going, you guys? It's a beautiful day, isn't it? They said, yeah, and the guy gets up to shake my hand. One guy's got a patch on his eye. And uh, he's all bleeding the whole side of his face, and it's, it was just rough. And he gets up, and he starts shaking my head. I said, brother, I said, Jesus wants you to know that he loves you, and he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And he just grabbed me and started hugging me and just started weeping. And, I, you know, the guy's, like, snotting and bleeding and all over my face, and I'm, like, kind of like this. But and just another time, right then again, the spirit was just at work in his heart. And uh, I just want to kind of put a bit of a challenge out uh, to everybody to think back of the commitment that they made to Jesus and um, just like me and Pastor Bill were talking this morning, we try and he give a really good analogy. Maybe, maybe he used it here. I won't, I won't use it right now. But uh, man, when we give our lives to Jesus, that means... Uh, we surrendered our life. No more us. We say yes to him and we say no to ourselves. We die to ourselves. And there's so many opportunities throughout a day that go by that we have to demonstrate our commitment to Jesus and allow Jesus to live for his life to flow through us. And somehow, a lot of people, I believe, miss, miss it. And they miss opportunities to share the love of Jesus Christ. The world out there, there's a world, people who are just completely lost and broken and addicted and desperate. And I know that because I spent many years on the streets. And there's many, many people out there that need to know the love of Jesus. And just like that man that came to visit me in Stony Mountain Institution being obedient to God's call. If there's not more that each one of us can be doing to share that love of Jesus out in the community... It's just a challenge that God's thrown my way, and I wanted to share that with you guys. And I hope God provides opportunities for you guys to do that. Because it's awesome being, being used by God. And uh, people are desperate. The world is desperate, and he wants to involve us in his work. And there's no greater honor or privilege than to be used by God. An opportunity came for me to do a global internship with Teen Challenge. There was a need in, in Ireland, Jamaica, and Swaziland. I chose Ireland. I'll be going to Ireland in January. Um, I need to... Uh, I need to raise my, my own funds. That's not the, the main reason I'm here. If God puts it on your heart to help financially support that mission, we'd be more than happy to receive it. Be even more happy to receive prayer. And uh, I got a really, uh, really, cool, uh, really cool donation last night uh, towards my ministry, towards my missions trip to uh, Ireland. Come on up here, Nolan. 
I graduated uh, Teen Challenge last June. A couple months after that, I uh, got engaged to be married to my beautiful fiance, Vicky. And uh, I'm really looking forward to all the stuff that God has in store for my life in the future. And this is her son, Nolan. Nolan is 10 years old. Nolan has been making uh, wallets out of duct tape for the last month or two. And they are very, very cool. They take a fair bit of time to make and effort. And uh, I was going to bring one to show you, but I never did. But uh, Nolan has sold $130 worth of duct tape wallets in the last month or two. How long have you been doing it? About a month. He sold $130 worth of duct tape wallets. He came to me last night. I gave him one of those pamphlets that are in the bulletin there, and I said, Nolan, uh, I want you to uh, partner with me in prayer or financially towards my... Uh, go grab that wallet. Partner up with me in, uh, my, in my trip. Pray for me or financially or whatever. I want to give him an opportunity too. He went and grabbed a bag he already had. Here's one of these wallets. You know what? Better yet, come and see Nolan and check out these wallets. These are so cool. And they're like durable. They're, uh, these are good wallets. Come and check them out. I encourage you to. But uh, he brought me a Ziploc bag with $130 in it. Every, every dollar that he made from selling the wallets. And he gave it to me and said, I want you to have this for your, for your trip to Ireland for this to support. And I was totally encouraged by that, man. A 10-year-old kid sowing money into, into God's ministry for his mom's husband, fiance, to go to Ireland and do missionary work out there. Is, isn't that awesome? A 10-year-old kid? I'm trying to think if there's anything I... Uh, if there's anything I missed. I don't think so. You guys are looking for Christmas gifts. Come and see Nolan for duct tape wallets. <laughs> and uh, I think I covered just about everything. Just uh, thank you very much for, for having me uh, in your church to share my testimony. I came here when I was about 17 or 18 years ago. Hey, Mom? That's how long it's been when they were over there. And uh, have a good rest of the morning. Thanks, Steve. Going to take you just for a few minutes to um, Luke chapter 4. Ben emailed me earlier this week and, or last week and said, what are you speaking on? And I said, I'm speaking on temptation. And I said, maybe, uh, I think you might know something about that. And, and Ben and I had a breakfast meeting this morning, and he basically preached my sermon for me already. Dan, you want to do the building fund offering? Let's do that right away, and then we'll get that over with. Okay, let's come on up, guys. We'll pray together. And uh, you know what? I'm just going to keep talking while the offering is going around, and then because we're running short on time here, so... Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us this wonderful building. Thank you for those who uh, built the things that we didn't, and we ask your blessing upon them. And Lord, as we seek to use it to build the kingdom of Jesus in Nippon, may this be a place where people find refuge and shelter and come to grow in Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen. All right, while those plates are going around, we'll just... Uh,
let them do that. Luke chapter 4, I want to talk about temptation. It is something that each of us probably know about firsthand. It's a desire or a craving for something, and usually something that is wrong. And there is temptation, and then there is temptation. I'm a diabetic, and I have a temptation with ice cream, and sometimes I, need, I eat more than I should, and sometimes I, I wind up paying the price because I submit or I give in to my cravings, uh, and I wind up with just a blazing three-day headache because I ate too much sugar. So there is that kind of temptation. Or then the other side of it, there is the temptation that my wife has probably faced a time or two, and that is she's never thought of divorce, but she probably has considered murder a few times <laughs> in her life. But um, There is the other side of that as well, and there is this whole gamut of things. How do you deal with that? When you listen to Ben's story, you heard about his desire for autonomy, his desire for independence, for worth, to be a somebody. And as Ben said, that's a God-given desire. God has put within each of us the need to feel good about ourselves, the need for self-worth. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's the means of fulfilling that desire that gets us into trouble and I think in this story in Luke chapter 4, we see how Jesus sets the example for us in how to deal with some of those things. How do you deal with these needs for self-worth in a godly, not only in a godly way, but in a way that is good for us instead of destructive? So let's read this together. Luke chapter 4, and I'm going to read for you verses 1 through 13. Jesus has just been baptized by John the Baptist, and Luke tells us that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to them, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So, if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. Notice Satan is quoting the Bible here. He knows this stuff. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Maybe your upbringing was something like mine. My mom and dad used to tell me, don't do that, it's wrong. And, and my response to that always is like, you know, well, why can't I? You know, if it's wrong, like, why is it wrong? Why am I not allowed to do certain things? 
And the problem is sometimes when, when we try and resist temptation just by, by saying no or because someone has said to us that's bad, don't do it, we wind up failing. And if you're going to deal with temptation, we need to understand what the problem is temptation. And there is that reality. We all have this need for self-worth. That's the way God made us. God made us with a need inside us, created us with this, this, this vacuum inside us that says, I need to be a somebody. I need to be able to feel good about myself. There's nothing wrong with that. It's God-given. And if God has created that need in us, then he has also given us a way to fill that need. The problem comes when we try and fill that need in a way other than that which God provides. When we try and take a shortcut, it's like a counterfeit dollar bill. A counterfeiter makes, well, not dollar bills, well, we don't have, not even, we have loonies. A counterfeiter makes 20s and 50s and 100s. Why? Because they're cheap to make. It's a counterfeit. It's a representation of the real thing, but it's not the real thing. And when you get busted with a counterfeit bill, if you were to go to the store and someone says, well, that's a counterfeit bill, and you say, but I, you know, like I got that in change. It's supposed to be worth 100 bucks. Tough noogies. It's not good. But there are different sources of temptation, and I'm not going to go over all of these in, in any great amount of detail. But there's basically three sources of temptation. There's our own inner nature. Our inner nature that says, I want, and this is what I need in order to make me happy. Okay? There's another source of temptation, and that is the world in which we live. Our culture says to us, in order to be a somebody, in order to feel good about yourself, here's what you need. I had a guy come to me one time before I went to Bible school. I had my own logging truck. I was doing fine. I was in the bush. And the contractor that I was working for at the time knew that I was going to Bible school, and he was trying to needle me a little bit. And he came up to me one day, and he said, Billy, he says, I don't think a man is worth anything unless he's got all his stuff paid for and a million bucks in the bank. And he had it. All his stuff was paid for, and he had a million dollars in the bank. And he says, there, what do you think of that? You see, that was his, that was his estimate. That was the world's, my, my culture says, you're not worth anything unless you have all your stuff paid for and a million dollars in the bank. And if you have all your stuff paid for, and if you have a million dollars in the bank, then you're a somebody. If you don't have that, you're a nobody, you're a loser. And then there's the devil. And Ben described him this morning, and there's a verse in John chapter 8, verse 44. Lindsay, I don't know if you have it there, but um, Jesus was talking about Satan here. And he said, he was talking to the Pharisees, and he said, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. Now, it's the next part there that I want you to note. Here's Jesus' description of Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding for, to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a, a, a liar and the father of lies. He's a murderer and a liar. And when he comes to us, he is going to lie to us. 
And the problem with temptation is that wherever it comes from, whether it comes from within my own nature or whether it comes from the culture in which I live or whether it comes from the enemy, all of these things offer an alternative shortcut to self-worth. All of these things order, offer us an alternative that is going to take an end run around what God provides and ultimately it's going to fail. Whatever it is, ultimately, it's going to fail. When you settle for the counterfeit, it will always fail. Why? Because it takes God out of the picture, and it substitutes self. And what I'm saying is, I know what I need to be happy. God doesn't know, and he will spoil my plans. And so I will tell myself, I have a right to be angry when God says, forgive. I have a right to gratify my desires when God says you don't. I have a right to be selfish when God says I don't. I have a right to have stuff when God says I don't. I have a right for, for whatever, to feel good, whether it involves drugs or alcohol or sexual gratification or status or power. And we look for these things because we think that these are the things that will make us happy. Do you remember the story, what does it take to satisfy a rich man? The answer to that question is just a little bit more. It's always just a little bit more. And the reality is that my circumstances do not determine whether or not I am content. You know, if I just, get, if I just was to get a brand new pickup, then I would be happy. If I just was to get another motorcycle, because mine's broke down right now, and I don't know if it, it, it's dead, and I don't know if it'll ever get resurrected. You know, if I just was to get uh, a new motorcycle, then I would be happy. It's like I told my dad when I was 15 years old, Dad, I want to buy a motorcycle. He says, yeah, I know what's going to happen. It's going to be this bike this year, and uh, next year it'll be a bigger one, and it'll be a bigger one the year after that. And I said, oh, no, Dad, I'm 15 years old. Oh, no, Dad, the bike I want to buy goes 60 miles an hour. That's the speed limit. That's as fast as I ever want to go. You know. Next year, Dad, would you co-sign this loan for me? <laughs> Next year again, Dad, another loan, yeah. Uh. And if you're looking for satisfaction in the wrong ways and the wrong places, you will never find it, and you will always keep on looking. A counterfeit fulfillment will always ultimately disappoint will always ultimately leave, ultimately leave you wanting more and ultimately will destroy us and everything that you and I hold valuable. And the problem is that some people, many people, spend all of their lives pursuing the counterfeit only to find out too late that it has ruined them and that they have sacrificed that which God would have given them for that which they have pursued at all cost and it really wasn't worth it in the end. So how do you deal with it? You need to do more than just say no. Ultimately, that's the place we want to go. But we need to understand it if we're going to defeat it. What about Jesus? What did he do? Well, the Bible says that he was human. 
that he was tempted in every way as we are and yet was without sin. So the same way that Jesus resisted temptation, you and I can resist it. If Jesus was successful, you and I can be successful. But look at what was offered to him. He was vulnerable. At the end of 40 days, he was hungry. He was a prime target for Satan. He was the biggest prize that was available. But notice the tactics that the enemy used on Jesus. There are three little words or one little word that is used three different times in this whole testing procedure. And that little word is if. If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. In other words, you think you're somebody... Let's see. Let's see how big of a somebody you are. Satan said to Jesus, if you will bow down and worship me, I will give you all this stuff. Satan said, if you are really somebody, then throw yourself down from the temple and see if your heavenly Father will come and bail you out. And he's testing Jesus' sense of self-worth. You think you're somebody, let's see you prove it. If you want to be happy, then here's what you need. If you want to be a somebody, then you need to leave your spouse and find someone else who will make you happy. If you want to be somebody, you need a better vehicle. If you want to be somebody, you need to make more money than your neighbor does. If you want to be somebody, you need to have more power. You need to have more status. You need, And if you get all these things, you will be happy, only to find out that there's always somebody that is bigger and stronger and worth more than you are. And what Jesus used to defeat the enemy was this reality. He used the principles of the Word of God. He submitted himself. Ben talked about submission. His big thing was a rebellion to any kind of authority. What Teen Challenge taught Ben was obedience, submission, and humility. We don't like those things. I don't like submitting. I don't like being obedient because then someone else gets to gets to call the shots in my life. I don't like being humble because it might mean that someone can walk all over me. And the reality is that until you learn to submit, until you learn to submit to God, until you learn to submit to the principles of His Word, you will never find the peace and contentment and self-worth that you are looking for. Here's a picture. Let's take a dog. You get this dog. You desperately want a dog. And so you go to the SPCA and you come home with this dog. Now, for some reason, this dog, whether it's part of his breeding, whether it's part of his or her background or his culture or whatever, but for some reason or another, this dog a, is scared of you, and B, doesn't like you. Because the dog figures that, that you're going to be mean to it and not let the dog do what it does. And so in order to keep that dog, what you need to do is to get a big chain or a big rope 
and tie that puppy down somewhere or another because if you don't, that dog will run away, that dog will take off on you, and then you have to put a sign in your front yard that says, beware a dog because the dog is snarly and will bite at everybody that comes around it. But let's say the dog initially distrusts you, and then you win the dog over, and the dog likes you, and the dog learns to love you, and the dog wants to be around, and you can unhook that chain. And that dog can have an absolutely wonderful life. It can be a part of your family. You will take it to the vet. You will do get it brushed. You will feed it. You will exercise it. You will clean up after your dog, all the rest of these things. And if your dog was chained up, you would probably do the same things for you. But the difference is in the attitude that the two dogs have. And it's the same with you and me. We can voluntarily submit to Jesus Christ. We can voluntarily submit to him and experience a fullness and a richness in life and be part of his family. Or we can defiantly say, I will not. I will do it my own self. I will determine my own life and we can jerk at the chain and we can be miserable and we can be tied up and live a miserable life. Or we can submit to the Lord and find fullness in Him. And I think that's Ben's story. I'm out of time here, so we need to pray. Ben's out there. I see him standing there. I don't know why he's ducking out on me here. But, uh, anyway, if, um, if there's an issue in your life that you need to deal with, uh, please talk to me, talk to Ben, talk to somebody. I'll be around here. Ben's here. And um, if God lays it on your heart to support this young man, uh, I've watched this, I think the last time, one of the last times I saw Ben, he was playing hockey in the Jubilee Arena. Do you remember? I don't know if you remember that or not, but I came to watch him play hockey, and, and a lot has happened, and I'm pretty proud of what the Lord has done in this young man's life, and I think he's worthy of our consideration and our support. So go out there, say hi to Ben. Let's pray together, and we'll be dismissed. Father God, Sometimes, as human beings, we're just really, really dumb. And we think that we know the answers. We think we have it all figured out. And we stubbornly go on our own way and get ourselves into all kinds of trouble when you're simply asking us to get in step with you and to submit so that you can give us richness and fullness in life. Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts. We ask your forgiveness for our rebellious attitudes. We ask your forgiveness for our selfishness. And we pray, Lord, that you would teach and guide and direct and mold us to be the people you want us to be and help us to experience the fullness and contentment that we can only find in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. We're dismissed, and I don't care who wins the Great Cup.